0: The Source of Truth is an audio recording of Pastor Ronnie Love sharing Christian encouragement and biblical truth. We hope this podcast can help make your path a bit brighter today. Psalms 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Morning, welcome to the Source of Truth podcast on this Tuesday edition. Uh, We call it the Source of Truth podcast because we are studying the source of truth that is the Word of God. In a day when truth is relative, truth is whatever someone else or whatever we want it to be, uh, we like to go back to the fact that there is one absolute truth, and that is the Bible, God's word he's given to us. And uh, so uh, we're actually starting a new book of the Bible. We just finished the book of Colossians. I would suggest if um, somehow you're interested, whether you're watching this online or listening to this in audio format, Uh, maybe you, uh, maybe you're brand or you're newer to this, you say, are there ways to get other versions, uh, other um, archives of this? We've been doing this now for over two years. And so on our church website, bensalembaptist.org, there's a link to the Source of Truth podcast section of our site and archives of audio and video for two years as we've gone through multiple different books of the Bible. And we'll continue to do that just like this, verse by verse, uh, breaking it down, unpacking what's in that verse and helping us to get an understanding of what the Bible says. It's really the goal is to, what does this verse really mean? Well, then what does it mean for me? Because if this is the source of truth, learning it's the best. Thing we can do. Again, thanks for joining us today as we begin in the study of 1 Peter. I would agree that Peter is probably one of my favorite apostles. He's a, uh, a, um, with an A-type personality, an alpha personality, um, a bit impulsive in speaking, speaks his mind and many times, regretting it, uh, impulsive in his actions, uh, was used greatly of God, but had to go through a lot of trials and teaching and testing from God to be able to be as effective as he was and in willingness. His boldness is a challenge uh, to us. And so today, what we're gonna look at is he writes the uh, book of 1 Peter. He's writing to this um, mostly Jewish people, Gentiles as well, but mostly Jewish people. We know that ultimately, when you begin to see that through the apostles, there was Peter, the leader really of the Jewish church, and then Paul, who was sent to the Gentiles. Paul was sent to the Gentiles because he was Jewish, but also a Roman citizen. Uh, So he had access uh, that often a lot of the Jewish people did not, although Peter was the first one to go to Cornelius and offer um, salvation to to the Gentile people. But generally this is written predominantly to the Jewish people. Um, and we're going to see that in the first couple verses. So what I'm going to do is I just want to take the two verses as we get an understanding of who Peter is and who he's writing to. I think it's important when you're digging into a book of the Bible to find out, well, who are the recipients and what does that mean to me? So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, so we know from the first phrase, Who's writing this? It wasn't written about Peter. It was Peter writing this. He says to, who's he writing to? To the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So he he talks about... The stranger scatter. Why would he mention strangers? Well, here's here's the premise of the term he used for strangers. These people have been displaced from their homelands. These are generally Jewish people that have been kind of run off into the Asia Minor area because of persecution. You go back to um, James chapter 1. The Bible says... um, Uh, James writing to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. So this is another one of the scenarios where another apostle, you've got James, the brother of Jesus, now an apostle of Jesus, Peter, and he's writing to this Jewish church, this, uh, this Christian church, really, this predominantly Jewish tribe scattered, but it was this young church, and he's writing to them, and he's encouraging them. Obviously, they've been scattered. They're strangers, so they've been scattered from their homeland. They're running due to persecution. So they've endured some pretty heavy persecution. And they're running. And so not only are they endured heavy persecution, now they're in plan that very different than them. They are... Uh, for all extents and purposes, refugees um, from the persecution that comes against them because of their belief system. Please remember, some of the persecution was Roman, but a lot of it was simply from Judaism. Uh, the synagogue and their leaders were one of the heavy hands that came to persecution. We know that because the apostle Paul was sent out by the temple to rule to run away these um, this Jewish or these uh, this Christian church. Uh, So he's talking to the people who have going through a lot. And you say, again, there's two things we'll see that really are practical to us. Number one, he's talking to people that they're going through some battles, they're going through some things due to the unique circumstances of their day. They're... You know, if not many of the people alive at this point would have seen Jesus, may have heard him preach personally. It's not been that long since Jesus ascended to heaven. And so this is, you know, this is brand new. This new church is just starting, but going under some of the most intense persecution it will in the history of the church. You can see the frustration. You can see the discouragement that might come. You can also see the passion to say that, I know we're going through this, but our passion for God and our love for what's going on outweighs all the things that we're going through. And that's that's not only an encouragement to us today in, in the 21st century, it's a challenge to us. Many of us watching or listening to this inevitably would admit that there are some things in our life that are overwhelming, things that don't make sense. And, and generally, it all, almost always comes down to things we can't control. Oh, we wish we could, that's just our human nature, but we can't. But what it does is it forces us to trust God, that he is aware of the circumstance, that he cares about the circumstance, and that he will, in his time and in his way, provide and deal with that circumstance. Now, our job is to stay close to him, walk with him, be faithful to him, not get angry and run away because things aren't coming up the way we want them to. And yes, sometimes that takes commitment. Sometimes it means I've got to go when it doesn't seem easy and I got to stay faithful when things don't seem right. Uh, But that's okay. That's the point of commitment. That's the point of faithfulness and steadfastness that I stay strong even in the hard times. By the way, it's also the greatest uh, proof of of faith and maturity in Christ to stay strong in the hard times. Let's go into verse 2. Peter continues. He says, "Elect according to the foreknowledge of God." He's talking to the strangers, to this church. "Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied." A lot of times you see these first two verses and a lot of people just kind of say, "Well, this is the introduction. Uh, Peter's introducing themselves. The real meat of the message doesn't come till verse 3. Can I encourage you that there is a very important verse we've just read, also sometimes becomes a verse or a, like covers topics that are often controversial, and he starts off with this, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, and he is really talking about election. Um, Election would be, at least in some cases, that God has chosen certain people for salvation. Um, Some people would go to an extreme where they would say that God has only chosen certain people that can be saved, and whether they like it or not, they're going to be saved. It's really called, um, uh, uh, there's a limited atonement Um, Irresistible grace is the phrase I'm thinking of. It's a teaching where uh, the people have no choice. Only certain people can get saved, and if you're not part of that group, well, unfortunately, your destiny is established in hell no matter what you do. I don't believe that, but some would hold to it. It's an extreme position, and not everybody that would teach election teaches that. I hope we understand that. Um, But it, it becomes a debate. What happens is we immediately say, we believe that anybody who comes to Jesus can be saved, and so we don't believe election. Can I tell you, it's very dangerous to say you don't believe something that's in the word of God. It's obviously, I mean, it's taught in Ephesians and much other places, and in this book alone right here, elect according to the foreknowledge of God. Running away from something we don't understand is, is very poor uh, Bible interpretation and very poor study, uh, you need to go at it. Okay, what does it mean? Because here's the point. It doesn't matter what I believe about this or what I think about this. What is God teaching us? So I think the simple way to understand this is to walk through what he's saying. So he says, elect, we are chosen. So the word elect just means a chosen, okay? Chosen by God. Why who? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. What does he mean by foreknowledge? Foreknowledge simply means that he knew things before. So God has chosen certain people based upon what he knew would happen. Please understand, God knew everything before any of it would happen. While I have a free will, and I have a free will to decide what I'm gonna do with Jesus, God in his sovereignty knows what I'm going to do. He knows the mistakes I will make today, the good decisions I will make today. He knows whether or not I will accept Jesus, him as my savior or not. He's not forcing it, he's not limiting me, he is giving me all the opportunities that I can, but he knows whether or not I will choose it before I die. He knows that, that's foreknowledge. It's like knowing how a movie's going to end. A very bad illustration, but you understand my point. He is aware of what's happening. That's all that foreknowledge means. He knows. So here's what he says. People say election is to salvation. This verse proves differently. So he's chosen me according to his foreknowledge through sanctification of the Spirit. This is not unto salvation. This is sanctification. Here's what he said. You, I knew that you would get saved, and so I have chosen you through sanctification. I have a plan for you. I have my will for you. I have something for you that I want to do in your life and through you, and that's not salvation. It's sanctification. So because I know because God knows you're gonna get saved, now he's got a plan to develop you to be more like his son. Those who aren't getting get saved, he would have a plan, but he knows they will not choose it. This is not I'm choosing you to be saved, this is I'm choosing to develop you because I know you will get saved. He says this, the sanctifi- um, through sanctification of the Holy Spirit, unto obedience, this is us being developed in him because of his work in our life and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. We've been given the blood of Christ through our salvation. Uh, He says to that church, grace be unto you and peace and multiply. So he's speaking to this church. Can I tell you one other thing with election? Election is chosen. And election is taught in scripture. Those who want to say election is personal. God has chosen this person and chosen not this person or chosen this and not chosen this person. Whatever term you want to phrase. I, I don't believe that election is singular like that. That God has got one or two people. I believe election is corporate. What I mean by that is in the Old Testament, God chose the children of Israel. And that is how he reached the world. To come to God, you would have converted to Judaism in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he has chosen the church. And so to come to Jesus, you need to get saved and become part. By the way, salvation makes you part of the church. Membership of a local church is a little a next step, but that's the premise. So the election's there, but I personally believe it's corporate. Old Testament, it was Israel, New Testament's the church. Please understand, I do not believe that the church is a replacement. It is not the continuation of Israel. Israel's got its place in our future when they come back to God. But right now, he's chosen in this gap in history to be the church. We are we as a group are his chosen people. And here's the unique thing. God has chosen the church, but anybody can participate and become part of that church. That's how I believe election work. God chooses, but there's still the free will. And I believe that to be the uh, most simplistic way to understand that. If you have more questions on this, please feel free to email us at the church here. Uh, text me if you got more questions, and hopefully I can clarify if somehow I made this more confusing for you than it was when we started. Thanks again for joining us. I hope you stick with us as we journey through the book of 1 Peter and see what it is we can learn and be encouraged by as we learn from this apostle who learned so much in his own trials. Thanks again for joining us this morning. and We look forward to seeing you again tomorrow.